If you're physically able, just stand with me as we read a portion of God's Word tonight. Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, as we take some time tonight to consider your word, I pray that you would be our teacher, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would truly begin to understand what it is to be a disciple. Lord, we give you this evening. I thank you for this precious group of men and women you've gathered here tonight. I thank you for those that are watching online as well. Lord, may you be among us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but uh, I feel pretty blessed in my life. I have a wonderful wife and three great kids. I get up in the morning and I love what I do. I don't look at too many people and think, I am super jealous of that guy. Just, that's just not. But one group, one group I'm kind of jealous of is the disciples. The disciples, I mean... I've had some great guys play a role in my spiritual and pastoral discipleship, our pastor being chief among them. I had great guys pour into me. But what it would have been like to be discipled by Christ himself, you know, just to watch the way he lived, to have him smack you on the backside of the head when you do something dumb, you know, to sit and listen. And then, and then after you listen to his teaching, to be able to ask him questions knowing he always has the right answers. I'm a little jealous of the disciples. But I remember one day thinking that in my prayer life and having the Lord kind of doing for me what I wanted, smacking me on the head spiritually and saying, hello, McFly. He's called me that since the late 80s, since Back to the Future came out because Jesus is culturally relevant to the late 80s. But anyways, kidding aside, I felt like the Lord ministered to me, hey, you've got all the studies You've got all that I shared. You have the life lessons that I lived and you have my spirit inside you to lead you into all truth. And you can experience all that they did without having your life's mistakes recorded for generations to read. Oh, forgot about that part of being a disciple. A little less jealous now. But friends, seriously, what an opportunity we have to be discipled by Jesus to listen to his words, to let his spirit lead us into all truth. 
And so now that we've completed the 20 question series and a couple weeks that we've done on prophecy, and before we eventually here on Wednesday nights get to our complete through the Bible study, which obviously will start in Genesis, um, I just wanted to take some time to get and see Jesus, to see Jesus, to see him lifted up that he would draw all men to himself. I know every time we meet, there's always mixed people in the audience. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for years. Some of you are new. Some of you maybe even don't know the Lord. But I want to speak to those of you tonight that want to be disciples. Not just you religious types with fire insurance. Not just those of you that, you know, go to church because you just don't want to go to hell. So, but, but those of you that want to be disciples. Those of you that want to serve God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. If you have that mindset, well, then I want you to pretend with me tonight that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he takes you up on a mountaintop, the Mount of Beatitudes. And how beautiful it would have been overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Those mountainside, no doubt in that time of year, just erupting with flowers. And as that happened, the master began to speak. Listen to the words again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice in being exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we begin this study on being discipled by Jesus, we begin with what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in this sermon, a sermon that was given to his disciples, not necessarily to the multitudes, when he talked in parables and, 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 and used many, many illustrations, this is his disciples. And he pulls them aside and he's going to share with us how we pray and how we give and how we fast and what our foundation is going to be. But he begins with one of the most basic topics in all of human existence. How we can truly have a soul that is satisfied. How we can truly be blessed. It's a subject that has puzzled mankind since the fall. Before each of these verses, known collect collectively as the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes have been called the beautiful attitudes of the kingdom. Before every one of these beautiful attitudes were to have as kingdom members, Jesus said, blessed are you. Blessed are you, and that word is so interesting. That word blessed literally means to be approved by God, to have his smile upon you, to have his approval upon your life. The word originates back to ancient Greek, ancient Greece and ancient Greeks. They would say of their gods, of this word blessed, because they and they alone had the ability to live above the circumstances in life. No matter what toil was going on here in planet earth, they could be full of joy because they lived above the circumstances. 
Now Jesus throws out this term not to teach that man is divine and definitely not to give any credence to Greek ideas about gods. But he uses this term blessed because it best describes the condition that's possible as a disciple of God. When I'm living with God's approval upon my life, his smile upon my life, it doesn't matter what happens. I have this lasting, abiding joy. Now notice though, not happiness. Happiness comes and goes because the word happenstance, it means based on the circumstances in our lives and those can change in an instant. In fact, it was just Easter Sunday, not too long ago. Easter Sunday, I wasn't with you, wish I could be. I was in Paris, Texas at our Easter service out there and I smugly got on the stage that Easter morning. You see, the Lakers had just blown out the Dallas Mavericks in the regular season. So I, proud of my home team, walked on stage in front of the Texas fans and said, we need to pray this morning. And they're thinking, for the lost, for whatever. And as I do carnally, I said, for your Dallas Mavericks. We need to pray for them because they didn't show much metal last night. And so why don't we get together? And they kind of <laughs> gave me a courtesy laugh. But apparently they did pray because it was just a few months later, I actually got invited to one of the playoff games out there, and I'm sitting there in game three. At least it wasn't game four. Game three with my Laker gear on, all ready to go, just watching them get obliterated, having people all around me yelling, take that ugly shirt off. I'm like, that wouldn't be a good idea. You don't want that at all. Anyways, the reality is, man, from Easter Sunday, where I just smugly thought it's going to be three championships in a row, just a few months later (laughs) you see circumstances change and with it goes our emotions what God wants to give to you and me is a satisfaction of soul that comes from an understanding that we know man God is smiling upon my life when the circumstances change when the pink slip comes when the boyfriend or girlfriend says get out of here and it's like oh no what happened you can still have a satisfaction of soul How do we get that? Well, Jesus gives to us nine beatitudes, nine things as we obey and pray and get them into our hearts and lives, blessing will follow. Now, I've divided them into three parts tonight. Now, there's nothing inspired about my outline. Just three is faster to consider than nine. And let's make no mistake about this. I want you to like me and come back next week. So we want to get through this and keep my promise I made to you at eight o'clock. So... Three things, three messages of the Beatitudes for you note-takers tonight. The first one, if we want to be blessed, we need to see ourselves as God does. We need to see ourselves as God does. Not God did, but God does. We need to see ourselves as God does. Jesus starts out by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, you're going to be blessed when you become poor in spirit. Now, understand what that means. It doesn't mean that we walk around like spiritual Eeyores, you know, just kind of like, oh, bother, I'm poor in spirit. I'm going back to my little, you know, thing made of sticks. That's not what it means. It simply means the opposite of self-praise and pride. Poor in spirit is the opposite of the Laodicean church. In Revelation chapter 3, that says, I'm rich and have need of nothing. Poor in spirit. Well, I love this translation I came across in my reading. It says, Blessed are those who realize they have nothing within themselves to commend themselves to God. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you hear that? Blessed are those that realize I've got nothing to commend myself to God. And I know that's a struggle for some of you, especially those of you that have grown up in the church. If you're like me, you had a moment of conversion where you definitely weren't a Christian and then suddenly you were. If you grew up like my wife, you were like in the womb saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall inherit the earth. And you don't remember a time when you didn't know God. But for the rest of us, you remember that time. But if you grew up that way, where you grew up memorizing the Bible, you know, maybe for you, you grew up nice. And you never had that moment where, where you've said, I've got nothing of myself to offer you, God. You need to get there, friends. You know, it's kind of opposite of the way we see ourselves. We see ourselves high and elevated. It's why for some of us, it's a scary thing to go in front of a mirror. It kind of is. I know for some of you, you know, those of you who look like Danny Williamson, you know, you look in the mirror and it's just like, I am God's gift to the world. And, and that's all right, you know. He is for a while. But the reality is this. The reality is this, though. For the most the rest of us, we go to a mirror and it's like, ah, what, what happened? You know, I don't picture myself as short and balding. I just don't. I don't. It's why, it's why when I was a youth pastor here, for the, I, mean, I, I played video games when I was a little kid and then I played golf for the rest of my life until I was a youth pastor here. That was a long gap of no video games. And then one Evan Wickham just convinced me I needed to get a system of my own. And I told him, all those are for kids. And he said, do you know there's a college football game? Oh, there is? Speak on, wise Evan. And he began to say, there's a college football game. And you can make yourself the quarterback. Oh, I can? And design yourself any way you want, you don't say. (laughs) So when Duff starts for UCLA, he's 6'3", has golden locks coming out of his helmet. Good looking as the day is long. There's a Texas phrase for you. Oh, man, that's me. And so then when I see the real me, I go, that's not right. That's not right. You see, it grades against everything we understand. But listen, listen, precious friends, we've got to get this. Because if we live in this false understanding of ourselves, that we're great and magnificent and God was lucky when he got us, We'll ne- listen, we'll never get to the point where we say, Lord, I have nothing in myself to commend me to you. I have been saved by grace, as the Bible says. And that is so essential that every one of us get to in our walks and to our lives because then the second beatitude will come into play. I will then, as I am poor in spirit, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. You see, the second beatitude is the emotional counterpart of the first. I first understand intellectually that I bring nothing to the table. I have nothing within myself to commend myself to God. And then I react emotionally. I weep over my sin. I weep over what, 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 a, what a sinner I really am. And if I'm not grieved over my sin, it's a good indication that I've not truly understood what it means to be poor in spirit. But when I do mourn, Jesus says, you will be comforted. And don't let the past tense there, or kind of future tense, throw you. The Greek is emphatic. It will happen right away. The comfort comes immediately. It could be translated, they will be immediately comforted and will continue to be so. You see, when I see myself as God does, I repent of my sin, I yield myself to God, and I become part of his kingdom. My mourning is comforted as God washes away my sin and makes me new. And I go from being a wretched outcast to a beloved son who's precious in God's sight. 
And that begins the next then beatitude in my life. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall, they shall be those that inherit the earth. I see, I'm, I see myself as God does. I'm poor in spirit. It produces a mourning in my life. And as God saves me and wraps his arms around me, he begins to fill me with who he is. He begins to make me one of his kids. He begins to gift me and call me for the ministry he's uniquely called you to. And then a meekness develops in our life. Now listen, meekness is not a word, especially us guys like to describe ourselves as. You know, if my wife was saying, my husband is so meek. I'd be like, babe, babe, find another word. Compliment the shoes. Do something. Don't call you. And if you can't find anything else, well, my mama said, if you can't you know, have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. But don't call me meek. But the reason we think that is we don't truly understand what the word means. The word originally was used to describe horses that had been trained. These powerful, massive animals had been trained and they still had the ability to go crazy and to run. But now that, that, that ability was under the control of another. It's kind of like my, my first car was a, was a Mercury Topaz. That is, that is not a cool mobile, by the way. And it was a very used Mercury Topaz. One of these that when you push the gas down, it would literally take about a minute for it to respond. And so it's kind of like, go! And then, it was like a bad ride at Disneyland. That was, that was my first car. So when I turned 18 and got the Plymouth Laser, ooh, man, I know that's not that cool, but compared to the, compared to the Topaz, it was a Ferrari. One day, I just wanted to see what that baby could do. I was actually in high school, at our high school, they gave you 30 minutes for lunch, and who can have lunch in 30 minutes? And so I was late and had to get back to class. So I decided to take side streets, residential roads, and go 75 miles an hour through those roads. I was pretty impressed with my car that went from like 0 to 75 and what seemed in like 200 feet. It was much better than the... But... I was equally impressed with the Chevy Nova that was keeping up with me. I didn't know Chevy Novas could go that fast. My heart sank, though, as the arm went outside the window with the flashing light and then attached itself to the top of the car. It was an undercover cop that was so upset I was going 75 through his 25 neighborhood that he decided to pull me over and pull me over, did he? I was on the hood of the car. He was like, have you been to prison, boy? No, not at all. And and praise the Lord, he didn't send me to jail. He didn't take my license. But he gave me a $750 ticket. Whoa. That car never went 75 again, ever. It's not that it didn't have the ability. It still did. But I remembered that moment. And now it was under control. And friends, this is what God's saying. Your, Your life is more than just now having the same abilities. You have abilities he has given you giftings and callings he has put upon your life because you've gotten away from self-dependence. You're saying, Lord, I depend on you. I've mourned over my sin and now you've filled me with who you are and you've called me on my life and now though I could do a bunch of stuff, I'm under the control of your spirit and the abiding joy that floods my heart when I realize that, that it's not me and it's not my abilities but I serve a great king all the satisfaction of soul I sense the smile of God upon my life because I've begun to see myself as God does. Secondly, though, not only do we need to see ourselves as God does, 
But secondly, we need to begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. Look again at uh, verse, verse 6. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Friends, with every earthly experience, you know this, it leaves us longing for more, even in great experiences. It leaves us longing for more. I mean, to the, to the woman at the well, what did Jesus say? He, he said, drink of this water and what will happen? You will thirst again. You're going to thirst again. When the prophet Haggai was preaching to the city of Jerusalem, he said, you're living for the wrong priorities. You're living for money and it's like you're putting your money into a bag with holes. You're living to stuff your bellies and yet as you eat and drink, you're still hungry and thirsty. He's letting them know your priorities are off. However, Jesus here in verse 6 says there's something that does satisfy. A desire that will be completely filled. Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be filled. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? You know, we often obviously contextualize the scripture in our own experiences. And sometimes that's difficult as Americans because I really believe that we, most of us, have never really hungered or thirsted ever. I mean, maybe if you fasted for an extended period of time, you do know what that's like. But, but we're Americans. Now, I realize some of you are low-income Americans. But when you're thirsty, parched, you know, you can turn on a spigot. I mean, even if you don't have Evian sitting in your refrigerator, you've got a, you've got a spigot. If you don't have a spigot, we got drinking fountains here. You can show up almost any time. We'll get you a glass of water. You, you can have that thirst met when we're hungry. I mean, tonight, tonight, gang. Tonight, some of you in line were like, I'm starving. Really? You ate four hours ago. You're, you're not starving. Well, I didn't have lunch. Okay, seven hours. The reality is you're 39 days away from starving. You're okay. But, oh, I'm not hungry don't understand pastor jason we don't understand we don't but jesus is talking to a culture that understood famine that understood drought there in the middle east they knew what it was like to think all that i need is water all that i need is food i want it with all that i am and friends it's that that jesus is speaking of now sadly that idea to say i want righteousness that bad like a thirsty man needs water, like a starving man needs food. I want righteousness that bad. Friends, that's considered a little radical in Christianity today. But isn't it interesting? The very thing that Jesus said was necessary as a disciple, the American church today seems, that's radical. That's radical. Not for a disciple. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hunger for it. So then an obvious question is, why don't we? I mean, if we're honest tonight, a lot of us just don't. I I want to. I understand that's a good thing. But I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Could it be, could it be that you're just full of the junk of this world? I know it works that way with our physical hunger. Oh, man. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. When I tell you that our beloved Pastor Rob 
works food into almost every one of his sermons. If that's new to you, you're visiting here tonight. And when I was here in my first stint at Calvary Chapel Vista, three service days, I only taught one high school service to start, that would mean two services in here, and I would hear about the food, the ice cream bar he would get down at, uh, at uh, Costco. Oh, yes. Oh, the bar. Oh, and he'd talk about it, and just, oh, the Italian food he had been eating. And I'd sit in the back, and to make it worse, you know, Taco Bell's just right over there. And the smell of 49-cent tacos would come wafting into the parking lot. And then Jack in the Box. You guys know how much I love Jack in the Box. It's right there, just like ultimate cheeseburgers right here. You don't even have to cross a dangerous street. Right there. And there would be an occasional Sunday. Occasional. Where I would give in to those temptations. And I would sneak off for a minute or two. But I remember one time in particular, I would cross the street to Taco Bell, and man, 49 cent tacos. I laid down the seven bucks I had as a high school pastor, and I said, 14 tacos. That's what I want. I am so hungry. And I began to stuff myself, and as I'm stuffing myself, my phone rings, it's my mom. Hey, I wanted to take you and Christy out to Claim Jumper this afternoon. Do you want to go? with that last 14th taco. And I'm sitting there with like taco sauce running down my shirt and the lettuce, you know, and I thought, man, yes, I want to go. <laughs> Claim jumper's awesome. You know why gluttony is a sin when you come out of that place. It's kind of like, I get it. Why is it, you know, I get why adultery's a sin, murder. Yeah, it's bad. Why is eating too much a sin? You leave that place, it's like, oh, Lord, forgive me. Help me. I love that place. But that day, I just sat there with those mother load sandwiches. Oh. With the, now I'm talking about food. I learned from the best. Anyways, you just sit there. You sit there, and the reality is I was like, I want it so bad, but I'm not hungry. Because I was stuffed full of 49-cent tacos. <laughs> How sad is that? And yet, friends, listen. That's how a lot of us are spiritually. We know this is good stuff. We really do. And we long to grow in our, in our knowledge of God and our likeness of Him. We, we, we long for that in our lives. But the reality is for some of us, we, just, we indiscriminately let the junk of the world in. And our soul is trying to find nourishment off the, sh- off the shows that we're watching. And it's just full of junk. And so when we hear someone say, you've got a hunger and thirst for righteousness, like someone that's starving, like someone that's parched of thirst, God, we don't understand the reality of it. And if you're in that place tonight, I just ask that you repent. And you'd say, Lord, clean out my heart. Clean out my heart from those things. Help me to make wise decisions of what I'm putting in there and what I'm not that I might hunger and thirst for you again. It's so important, friends, because the more we begin to hunger and thirst for him, what does he say? The more he's going to fill you with who he is. And the more he fills you with who he is, guess what? His likeness gets worked out in your heart and life. And we see that in the Beatitudes in this section. Jesus goes on to say, blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall obtain mercy. As I spend time with the Lord, the more like the Lord I become. The Lord is merciful. He's gracious. He loves you and I. And as I see how much he's forgiven me, a sinner, I can't help but be merciful to other people. And as the beatitude says, then what happens is it's kind of, it's a cycle. Then people are more merciful to me because I'm loving and kind to them. And I just want to encourage you tonight. If you're one that hangs on to bitterness, if you're one that's unmerciful in your Christian experience, could it be that you, again, are not really experiencing Jesus? Your life's full of junk. You're not hungry and thirsting for him. So, so, so it's not him being poured into you. And therefore, you don't really realize how much you have been forgiven. Because when you see that and you see the cross and how Jesus died for you and for me, how can I not forgive my brother? How can I not forgive those that have wronged me? I have been forgiven so much. But as I hang out with Jesus and I see that he loves me, oh man, mercy floods my heart and then mercy is returned toward me. But not just mercy, he floods my heart with purity. Jesus says, blessed are the pure for they shall see God. As God pours into us, again, he pours into us his mercy. He pours into us his purity. Now understand, there's a difference between a pure heart and a clean heart. Follow me on this. A clean heart, you have the moment you receive Christ. Jesus cleanses your heart. Well, kind of gets rid of it and gives you a new one, but you got a clean one nonetheless. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, your heart is clean. It is forgiven. A pure heart, the idea of pure, has the idea of undefiled and unpolluted. Not a divided heart. So often our hearts are cluttered with so many things, so many passions of this world. And again, we wonder why we don't see God. We wonder why we don't hear Him clearly. I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you just think, how come my life isn't like that? I mean, you read about the the disciples and it's like, They've got a direct line, it seems to me, especially when you get to the book of Acts. You know, Peter's walking along. It's like, go pray for that guy. All right. You know, and he goes over there. Or what about Elijah? Elijah, the dude is surprised when God doesn't give him insight into people's lives. I'm surprised when God does. How about you? You know, it's like, whoa, God spoke to me. That's amazing. You know, it's just like, it floors us. Why? What? Some are convinced because God's changed. God's different today. We, we don't need them like the first century church did or the, the prophets did. Huh? What? God has changed? You mean the one that's the same yesterday, today, and forever? He's changed? Uh, no, he hasn't. He's the same. So what changes? We do. We do. I mean, you know, I love our culture. I really, I, I love the advantages of our culture. We, I couldn't do the thing I'm doing in Texas without planes and high-def DVD. I just couldn't do it. I like technology, but it puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage in the first century. I mean, you you think when Peter went from Caesarea to go up to, or from Joppa to Caesarea to introduce the Gentiles into the church, how did he get to Caesarea? He walked, and it took him two days. And he didn't have his iPod, Netflix, HBO on the go, whatever you have. He didn't have that. He walked with God and talked with God for two days. And friends, listen, I'm not saying you got to throw away your iPods and get rid of the movie. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm not, I, I, I have all of those things. But listen, well, I don't, not, anyways, I have, n- never mind. <laughs> 
Here's what I'm saying, though. How long has it been since you took a walk with God? How long has it been since Adam, in the coolness of the day, you just, you just took a walk with God just to be a, have a quiet heart before him? Some of us need to get back to that because then we're going to see God as the beatitude says. We're going to see him in our lives. We're going to have this undivided heart because we're spending time with him. And what happens? He pours himself into us and purity is the result. We wonder, God, why am I not like you? Hang out with him. Hang out with him. That's what happens. He pours mercy into our hearts. He pours purity in our hearts. He makes us peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, when we say we're, we're, we're the peacemakers, it doesn't mean that we need to put flowers on our head and head to San Francisco. That's not what that means. It's not just peace is in an absence of war. It's talking about the ultimate peace where man is reconciled to God. And maybe tonight you're like, well, I, I, it's not so much the, the mercy. I don't struggle with that. And oh, we're working on the purity. That's great. But I just have a, such a hard time sharing my faith. There's people all around me at my, at my school, in my neighborhood, in my job. They need Jesus. But I just, I start to share and it's like, I don't know what to say. Hang out with Jesus. You know he wants to reach your neighbors more than you do? He wants to reach your family members more than you do? He wants to reach your coworkers more than you do? And he is an evangelist. So as you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness... Let the junk be ripped out and let him be poured in. What's going to happen is you're going to see his likeness born into you. Someone who is merciful. Someone who is pure, undivided. Someone who is a peacemaker who sees those reconciled to God. As it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we with unveiled face behold as a mirror the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed in that same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of God. If you and I, we recognize I'm not like God you spend time with him and watch what happens in your heart and life. As a disciple, I need to see myself as God does. And as I do, as I do that, I'll see myself as he does. I'll be poor in spirit. I'll mourn over my sin as I'm comforted. I, I realize that he's given me these gifts and these callings. He's wrapped his arms around me. He's made me his child. And then all of a sudden, there's a meekness in my heart and in my life. I need to secondly hunger and thirst for righteousness because then I'm going to be filled, filled with more of him that will result in mercy in my heart and purity in my heart and being a peacemaker in my life. And finally... I need to live apart from the world. I need to live apart from the world. Jesus said in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, our world is heading in, a, in one direction. And if you're going to go in the opposite direction, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be persecuted. You, you just are. In fact, if you're not, something, something may be an issue. And I don't mean, I mean, we think of persecution, we think of, you know, people getting hit with clubs, like Paul was persecuted. It can come in many forms. It can come because you won't join in with the gossip. People stop talking to you. Because you don't laugh at the same dirty jokes. Friends just kind of walk away. Maybe it's mean emails. I don't know, but persecution comes in many forms. But as you live contrary to the world, it's going to happen. In fact, if you want a life of ease, I got the formula for you. Don't ever make any waves. 
Don't ever bring your Bible anywhere. Don't talk about Jesus. Life will be great. No, it won't. But it won't be persecution. But if you want to be a disciple, there's going to be persecution. Now, how in the world does that make me happy? I don't like it when people talk about me. I don't like it when they say mean things against me. Well, Jesus tells you why. Two reasons if you're writing them down. Number one, it blesses our hearts. It gives us that satisfaction of soul because great is your reward in heaven. And secondly, because great is your company in heaven. You see, when we're persecuted, it does two amazing things. It, number one, makes us realize, hey, I've got reward in heaven. I've got reward. I mean, that's why Paul could say, my light affliction. Huh? Light affliction? The dude was beaten with rods, had rocks thrown at his head. He spent a day and the night in the sea. For me, that's, that's heavy persecution. <laughs> that's heavy persecution. But Paul says, no, it's light. Why? Because he says, I compare it to the weight of eternal glory that's awaiting me in the heavens. See, Paul had that right perspective. And I begin to see it. Hey, this world that has disappointments, that has setbacks, where people do treat me poorly, this is not my home. I'm living for heaven. As we've talked about so much here on Wednesday nights, that affects a whole lot. So there's satisfaction of soul when I realize great is my reward in heaven. And not just that, but great is my company in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets. You're not the first one to get persecuted for Jesus' name. And by the way, it is persecution for Jesus' name. Not because you're weird. Sometimes we get persecuted because we're weird. And I, I, I'll probably offend some tonight, but you know, if you're on the street corner with the bullhorn and yelling and throwing things at people, unless God told you to do that, and who am I to say God doesn't tell you to do that? But if you're walking by and it's like, you're gonna burn! Hell's really hot! And people are like, what are you doing? Persecution, because I'm righteous. No, because you're weird. That's it. it. It's not it. But it's because you're living for Jesus. It's a way different thing. Great is your company. You know, I don't know how many harvest crusades you've been to. I haven't been to one in seven years, but I remember, maybe they still do this, there are these protesters always outside of the Harvest Crusades. At least they used to be. And their signs to me are so ridiculous. Lori leads to hell. Billy Graham leads to hell. Billy Graham leads to hell? I didn't know anyone didn't like Billy Graham. I thought even like Satan was sort of, no, I don't really believe that. But I mean, but I mean the reality is, who doesn't like Billy? Apparently the dude with the sign, Billy Graham leads to hell, Spurgeon leads to hell, one of the signs said. I was looking for the Paul leads to hell sign. Spurgeon? What? As I was walking, but the first time I was like, how do I get on those signs? I want to be on those signs. I I don't want to lead people to hell. Don't misunderstand. But I, I I want to be part of that company. Don't you feel like that when you read Hebrews 11? I want to be part of that company. I want to be part of those who don't see this world as forever, but I'm just passing through. I I, I want to see myself as someone who isn't living for the passing pleasures of sin, but who realizes I'm living for a city whose foundations and builder and maker is God. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to be. Don't you? Don't you want to be a disciple? Don't you want to be a disciple? 
I mean, what a great privilege you and I have. I don't know what it was like to be Matthew when Jesus walked up to him. A sinner of the worst kind in Jesus' day. No doubt burdened with guilt. And to have Jesus look into his eyes and say, you come follow me. All the love that must filled his heart when he realized he was saved by the King of Grace. I don't know what it's like for Peter to hear that call of the Lord, you come and follow me, put down your nets, and I will make you become fishers of men. How purpose must have flood, flooded his heart as he thought, you're kidding me, I get to be a disciple. What it must have been like to be Paul, I don't really know who had persecuted and sent Christians to their death, that had made families fatherless, to have God look him in the eyes and say, I'm calling you to be the, the apostle to the Gentiles. I don't know how floored they must have been, but, but I know how floored I am. I'm wicked. I heard this great quote by Irvin Turnevev, he was a 19th century Russian novelist, and he said, I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it's terrible. I don't know if you'll admit it tonight, but I, I pretty much imagine that's true for all of us. We love Jesus, and we're so glad he's sanctifying us and day by day making us more like us, but the reality is those of us that know us best ourselves... There's still some pretty ugly stuff deep in there. Some stuff we're pretty ashamed of. And yet though that is so true, do you know that's equally true? Jesus looks you in the eyes tonight and says, I love you. I love you. Oh, you could have pulled the wool over everybody else's eyes. You haven't pulled the wool on his eyes. He can see right through you. And he is radically in love with you tonight. Radically in love with you and he went to a cross to die for you. Don't you want to be his disciple? Don't you want to say, Lord, I will follow you wherever you call me to go. I want to be yours. I'm so tired of the shortcomings of the world. I'm so tired of just the emptiness this world brings. Lord, I want to be yours. I want to see myself as you do. And as I do, as I realize I've got nothing of myself to offer you, how amazing that then you you comfort my mourning and you fill me with who you are. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So God, just rip this stuff out of my heart that I have put there stupidly, Lord. Clean it out of my heart that I might be filled with you and your mercy and your purity and your ability to make peace in people's lives. God, may I live different from the world and even if I get persecuted and even if people say all kinds of evil against me, I want to be part of that crew. Just living for you with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind. I want to be a disciple. Don't you? Father, that's our prayer tonight. God, we are going to tear apart the passages of Scripture where you taught your disciples how to be disciples. 
And the reality is, a lot of it is radical in today's Christianity. A lot of it is way different than the way the world lives. But God, that's exactly what you've called us to be. And Lord, how privileged are we that you love us. How privileged are we that you took our place on a cross. How privileged are we that we have the ability to love you and respond to you. And that's our heart's desire tonight. God, for those of us that know you and love you and want to be your disciples, I pray as we worship you for a few minutes in closing tonight that you would do some heart surgery in us. That God, if we're kind of stuck in a prideful, churchianity attitude, Lord, I pray that you'd rip it out of our hearts and help us to see that we have nothing to commend ourselves to you. And maybe some for the very first time tonight would mourn over who they truly are. Lost, wretched, and blind without you. But with you, Lord, oh man, how amazing what you have made us. God, some of us tonight need you to weed out the filth of the world that we have allowed to infiltrate our hearts. We see the effects. We're not hungering and thirst for, for righteousness like we should. So Lord, tonight, not tomorrow, not next week, tonight, Lord, may you clean us out that we begin to hunger and thirst again. Father, make us different. But Lord, I also want to pray for anyone here tonight that has not committed their heart to you. Or maybe they walked away from you. God, I pray tonight would be the night that they would come back to you with all that they are. That they would commit their heart to you for the first time, if that's the case, with all that they are. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and if you're a believer, you're praying. You are interceding right now tonight for anyone sitting around here, anyone watching the study online, those that will be gathering on Sunday morning that are going to get the same challenge. But if you're here tonight and you need to meet Christ, you need to start a relationship with Him. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can respond to that gift Romans 10, 9 says, by believing in your heart and then confessing with your mouth. And so if you're ready to come to Christ, if you're ready to come back to Christ, then right now where you sit, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And it's not so much the words that matter, but but mean them with all of your heart. Lord, I believe in you. And I want you to come into my life and be my Savior and be my Lord. I want you to teach me what it means to be a Christian. I need forgiveness for my sin. I'm desperate without you. So Lord, teach me what it means to be a Christian. Teach me what it means to be a disciple. For Lord, tonight, I give my life fully and completely to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's bring down the lights a little bit. And for the next 10 minutes, before we wrap up our service tonight, let's do business with God. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to come up here and just, and just kneel before the Lord, you can do that. If you need prayer, there are men and women to my right and left that would love to pray with you, especially if you gave your heart or rededicated your heart to the Lord tonight. We don't want to lead you into some religious prayer. We want to help you walk with God. So come up and get prayer tonight. But let's take the next 10 minutes and just do business with God. Amen? Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.